put in the tunnel, just so I don't which way to go. John 7, verse uh, 37 to 39. I'm going to talk about uh, the theme I was shared on a few weeks ago about uh, having our, an action plan in the Word of God. Uh, a lot of people have a heart for the Word, but they don't actually do anything about it, or they don't do much with it. They have the idea they love it. They have the idea they're going to do it one of these days. But they don't, when, when they, a year goes by and they look back and review through the year, they're, they think, hmm, you know, I didn't, really do the, I didn't really give myself to the Word much. And, and giving ourselves to the Word of God, letting the Word of God gain entrance in our heart, is not a duty. It's, I don't think of it as a duty. I think of it as the fuel that awakens our heart. And so, uh, remove the idea of reading the Word as something that is an act of discipline that you're doing to prove to God you're sincere or serious, and think of it as a car that's empty and you're getting free gasoline if you'll pull up to the gas station. It really is the fuel. It's the fuel that causes the heart to flow like a river. And so, uh, I remember my early days in the Lord... I was 17 and 18, uh, 15, 16, and 17. I remember I, I couldn't, uh, I just didn't like the Word at all. When I was about 18 years old, I began to give myself to the Word. I, I didn't really like it. It was discipline. I thought of it as discipline. I thought of it as proving that I loved God if I endured reading the Bible. I thought that was the most uh, uh, dynamic statement. I'd much have rather gone to the mission field and died as a martyr, than have to do the word in prayer. I just thought that has got to be one of the most cruel things God could ever put on us, was make us do the Bible and prayer meetings every day. I mean, from now to forever, I thought. And so I thought, boy, there's no way out of this. And so when I was about 18 years old, I began to give myself to the prayer and the word. But it was a very different idea. It was a duty concept. And that was really the wrong idea. I was proving my dedication. I was showing the Lord I was serious. And, uh, and, and whenever I kind of uh, lost sight of uh, the duty, then I would get out of the Word. And I, and I want to give you a different uh, view entirely. The Word of God is not something you do because of duty. It's something that makes your life alive. It makes your heart alive. And when you really understand that, whether you've been in the Lord for 20 years or been in, or 50 years, you cannot get so busy that you separate your heart from a regular, preferably daily, but a regular encounter with Jesus through the Word. Because yesterday's experience in God will not keep your heart alive today. What I encountered in the Lord in 1996 and 97 and 98 does not keep my heart alive in 2003. Maybe what I touched a year or two ago does a little bit, but I'm telling you, it's, as, uh, it's like thinking I put gas in my car last year. And besides that, I ate dinner last year too. Why is my car empty and why don't I have any strength? Last year's refueling does not really uh, help you in terms of your heart flow today. And many people have uh, had a real energetic life in the Word, and they've got a, a lively ministry and a flowing heart. And a year, a year two, three goes by, and, and their flowing heart and lively ministry opens doors. They get real busy. And a few years later, the very thing that, that brought them to the experience of a flowing heart, they no longer have that input. And so now they're ministering out of memory. They're ministering out of the sermons that worked in the other conference. 
And they have the remembrance of a tender heart. They have the remembrance of having a lively spirit in prayer, but it's only a remembrance and it's a testimony. Even people remember you that way, but it's no longer true today. And it doesn't have to be that way. And that's it's a very, very easy thing for those that have been in the kingdom for years to fall into. And it's a very easy thing for those that are, uh, even those that are new, to never ever get their heart jump-started, if you will, to where it's flowing. Most believers that I talk to, and this is not a negative put-down, I'm talking about 90% plus. Most believers that I've known and talked to over the years, I'm talking 30 years, most of them, their hearts feel cold, unmoved, passive, prayer's a burden, the Word is a chore, it's a duty, and the Lord says, I really do have more for you than this. I really have more for you than this. And so I don't offer this as a way of rebuke. I offer it as a way of hope, as a, as a statement. There really is a supernatural working of the Word of God when it enters the human heart that can change even you. It's really true. I don't care how cold the heart is, the Word of God has more fire and power in it than your heart has coldness and death. The Word of God is more powerful than your heart is. But it's not about carrying your Bible. It's not about talking about the Bible. It's about actually opening it in a devotional way and reading it and turning it into dialogue, into real conversation with Jesus. Calming our hearts down, taking time and doing it, that is where the kiss of God touches the heart. And it's real common for people to do that for a year or two and really begin to feel that dynamic working and then they get out of it. And so again, I, this truly is not a rebuke. Because if, if, uh, if my numbers are right, 90% of all the believers I've known for 30 years, their hearts are cold Pretty cold and pretty spiritually dead, and they and it pains them. And they go, I want a way out, and there is a way out. So it's really a statement of hope I'm trying to give you here. It's as simple as can be, but it really, there is no substitute for this. Nobody can do it for you, and no other ministry can take the place of what I'm telling you here. Nobody, there's nobody can eat dinner for you, and nothing else can substitute for you eating. I mean, you can work out and say, you know what, I'm just going to work out the next year and skip eating. Say, you know what, I'm just going to be friends. I'm going to fellowship the next year and skip eating. There's no other activity that can substitute for eating. You know what, I'm just going to take naps and sleep all day instead of eat. That's how I'm going to compensate. There is no kingdom activity that can substitute for you being in the Word. I'm not saying on a daily basis. That's certainly the goal. But on a regular basis. I'm not on the Word. I have not read the Word on a daily basis for 30 years. I have on a regular basis. But there's times where I don't read it here and there. And it's not, don't get worried about it if you miss a day or two. But you need to be concerned when you're missing a week or two. And really concerned when you're missing a month or two. And really concerned when you're missing a year or two. And it's real common for most people to miss a year or two. Or three or four or five. And again, I'm not talking about duty. I'm talking about having a lively spirit. I'm talking about having a flowing heart. Jesus here in John 7:37, He's talking about the Word of God right now. And He says this. On the last day, the great day of the feast, and there's a lot of great symbolism here that I don't want to go into. uh, Jesus stood and he cried out, and here's what he said. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers, plural, rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit. 
He was speaking of the Spirit touching the inner man and flowing like a river on the inside. Now, there's so many points here to, uh, to make. First point, Jesus said, anyone. Anyone's a very, very important point. I don't care how anointed you used to be and now how barren you are now, you can get restarted. For, for, for those that have been in ministry 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Anybody. I don't care how uh, much sin you've been in. As a believer, let's say as a believer, say, I, I wasn't addicted to this, this, and this until I was a believer. It was after I was born again and in the ministry I got addicted to these ten things or these three things or whatever. Does it matter? Anyone. Anyone. Well, I was raised in a non-Christian home and I don't have any experience. I don't have any knowledge of the word anybody. Anybody can do this. Well, I'm real busy and I got a really important ministry and the whole world seems to be knocking at my door and I'm so important. Anybody the Lord will call into this. Well, I was real abused and beat up, and I have so much pain and so much anger. Anyone who is thirsty, and that anyone is real. Jesus was not exaggerating. Well, I don't have a real good education. Matter of fact, I don't even like to read. Matter of fact, I have a reading disorder. Anyone can do this. Anyone can do this. I'm A-D-D-D-D-D. I'm off the charts. They don't even have a category for me. Anyone can do this. I'm serious. I'm sick. My body is so much pain. I throw up all day, every day. Anyone can do this. No, I'm serious. I really... Because what, what I don't want to do is I don't want to see people use wrong excuses to get themselves out of a life flow. I'm not talking about a duty. I'm not talking about responsibility. I'm not talking about you ought to. I'm saying that uh, Jesus has only satisfied customers who do this. I know that's a big statement. I'm going to say it again because it's a thought-through statement. But there's some pretty important qualifiers here. According to the qualifiers of this passage, Jesus doesn't have any unsatisfied customers. When he says anyone, it means anyone, and he can stand everyone up in eternity and say, okay, out of a couple billion of you from history, any of you tell me where this was not true when you did it my way. And there won't be one person... Out of, out of a couple billion believers in eternity that will have a case that can be proven true. Does it matter if it's physical, spiritual, mental, ministerial, I'm anointed, I'm in prison, I'm in trouble, I'm famous. It doesn't matter what it is. Anybody can enter into this. That's the first word I, I, I want to give you. And I want that word to be a word of hope. I, I want you to say my excuse is not a valid excuse. I just challenge you to say that in your mind right now. My excuse is not a challenge, uh, not a valid excuse. You don't want to let the enemy give you an excuse to keep your hands cuffed. You don't want to keep your hands cuffed together and then give the devil the key. You want to say, no, I am not going to live this way. I am not. A, you, what basically, not only, but basically... What God's people lack is a vision for the power of what this will do in their heart. If they get a vision for it, if they can see this is really real, they'll give themselves to it. He says, if anybody thirsts, that's qualifier number one. You know, we have so many appetites in our culture that there's almost no real deep hunger. It's a little play on words there. We have so many superficial appetites. We have an appetite... And I don't want to pick them because all these categories are legitimate. I have an appetite for this and this and this. Some things are very legitimate. But too many good appetites for legitimate things. I mean, wholesome activities will cause your heart to be satiated. It will be, it's like you're always 
full all the time. I don't mean it's like junk food where you're where you're always full. You don't have an appetite. So but you're dying of malnutrition while feeling full most of the time. I don't mean feeling strong. I don't mean feeling healthy. But we we uh, we nibble on so many areas of life. And we have a superficial appetite in 10 or 15 areas. Some areas are real good areas, and some areas are, are legitimate areas, but they kind of d- dissipate your strength and energy. And other areas are just wrong areas, and other areas are just wasteful. They're not in, in inherently sinful or righteous. They're just wasteful. Just spending time idly, just never getting around anything. You're not actually sinning. You're not just kind of in, in the no-man zone. And scores of people live in, in that area for hours and hours a day. But here's the point, that we nibble all day long at all kinds of things. It's like just uh, kind of eating junk food and sugar all day long. And there we're dying of malnutrition. We're dying of starvation because we never, ever have a place where our appetite gets aroused with real hunger. Jesus says you have to be thirsty. You can use the word hunger or thirst. You have to... Uh, uh, position yourself to really want to go after this thing. There, and I believe this starts with a vision. I believe that thirst, thirst for God or hunger for God, you could use them interchangeably. I believe that, that I can give you a vision tonight, and if the Holy Spirit blesses it, you can buy into a vision to have a heart, a flowing heart, and that can awaken hunger a little bit in you. It won't make the hunger great, but a vision that you can have more is one way that God awakens hunger and thirst. And so the way that I've done that over the years, I've read biographies of people who went deep in God. And when I re- have read biographies of people that go deep in God, I go, I want to do it. Why not me? And that awakens hunger. It awakens thirst. I uh, want to fellowship with people who are going hard after God. So when I hear what's burning in their heart and what, what, what they're touching and what they're living with, I go, I, I want more of that. And so there are, there's, there's, there's a lifestyle that we can live that does strengthen our hunger. It does strengthen our thirst. But for the most part, the culture, the the Western culture, and it's all through the church, we have so many superficial appetites, we are nearly devoid of any deep hungers. There's almost nothing that we would die for that we want so bad. Because we want ten things, pretty much, and we don't want anything really intense, and therefore God's one of the ten... And therefore, we go after God kind of with the same vigor. We go after improving our golf game. We go after improving our business skills. We go out improving our ministry skills. And we kind of go after God in the same kind of vigor we go after the other ten things in our life. And you will never have a flowing heart until thirst has been awakened in you. I don't mean uh, uh, thirst meaning that you feel the anointing. I mean thirst, this, this vision, this ravenous desire. I have to have more, and I'm going to have more. I mean, you may not be experiencing any of it, but the idea touches your mind. And you believe it. I am going to be a man. I'm going to be a woman. You may be 8, 18, or 87, and you say, I am going to have more. Nobody's talking me out of this. My friends aren't talking me out of it. The church isn't talking me out of it. IHOP's not talking me out of it. I'm going to have more of God if that's the last thing I do on this planet. That kind of vision, even when your heart feels like stone, will create thirst. Thirst is the byproduct of vision. Getting a vision. And so one thing that that I always like to do is I like to, uh, uh, as I'm talking to people, is try to awaken vision in them. That there is more. 
And there's no greater passage, although there's many passages as good as this, but to, for vision. I mean, who, who could want more than a heart flowing like a river by the Holy Spirit? I mean, my goodness, that's as good as it gets. Jesus said, you gotta have thirst. You gotta, and what, what I would recommend you doing is, uh, buying into what I'm telling you right now, this verse. <laughs> Read some biographies. Of people who entered in that you believe, get around people that are fiery and do what they do and say, I want what they have. Anyway, thirst is important. Thirst is important. Hunger is important. Being uh, uh, just a teeny bit hungry at dinner time is never going to get you there. And so uh, already a large number of people in the body of Christ could say, okay, the qualifier of thirst, I guess I didn't really thirst. I never thought about that. So I guess I can't complain on the last day that Jesus didn't keep his end of the bargain because I never even really thirsted. My life was so full of so many other things, I never even got thirsty. And the Lord will say, yeah, you said it right. And one of the conditions is being thirsty. Meaning that you want to connect with God as the premier reason for why you're alive on the earth. It's not the only thing that you're going to do, but it's the premier reason to be a worshiper of God. You are going to touch God for your sake and God's sake, even before you give it away to anybody else. You are going to be a woman of intimacy, a man of intimacy in your youth or in your latter years. You're going to have it and no one is going to steal this from you. That's where thirst is awakened. Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me. That's That's a really big one there too. Let him come to me. It didn't say, let him join the church. I believe in joining the church. It didn't say, let him join the IHOP staff. I believe in that too. It didn't say, let him uh, uh, be involved in all the ministries. I believe in being involved in all the ministries. Uh, not in all the ministries, but in ministries. And the ones that the Lord has uh, uh, called you and touched you on. Those are not the same as coming to him. You can be in the middle of the IHOP world and die of spiritual starvation. I mean, die of thirst and die of starvation. I'm using those interchangeably. You're going to say, man, I'm in so many staff meetings. I'm in so many outreaches. I'm in so many training times. I'm in so many healing rooms. I'm in so many whatever. And the Lord says, those are good in their place. I mean, they're, they're, they're critical. They're part of the kingdom mandate. They're, actually, they're a part of how our lives are made, our hearts are made alive. So I'm really big on those. I'm going to come back to that in a minute and show you from the Scripture that it is critical that we do outreach ministry and that we give ourselves to others. We have to. It's a part of the package of having a living heart. But those things are not the same thing as coming to me. Coming to me. Jesus is the one who said this. When he, uh, it's, it's a very famous verse. Uh, I've shared it many times. John chapter 5 are right there. John chapter 5, verse 39. Where's it at? Okay. Verse 38. It's this idea of coming coming to me. This is a passage you just want to make one of your main passages your, your, your whole life. John 5, 38 to 40. But it's actually a little before and after as well. Jesus said, uh, I'll tell you the problem. He says, uh, verse 38, you don't have my word living in you. And that's where I'm going in a minute. He goes, you don't have my word. My word's not alive in you. Even if you've memorized it, it's not alive in you. Meaning the Bible has never become a source that helps you have dialogue and conversation with God's heart. He's talking to the Pharisees. He goes, when you read the Bible, you, you, you read it to memorize it so you can, be, you can win biblical arguments and you can have a, a, a more skillful ministry, but you don't actually come to me when you read it. He goes, it's not alive in you. 
And then he goes on in verse 39, and here's the verse that I, I want to focus on. He says, you search the Scriptures because in, the, in Bible study you think you have life. You think, instead of put eternal life, instead of put eternal life, don't emphasize the eternal part, emphasize the life part. He says, you think that you have life. Put the word anointing. You think you experience the anointing by pure Bible study. You search the Scriptures, you study the Bible, but you, and you think that in the Bible you have the, the presence of God, the experience of God's presence, the, the life. Now that life goes on forever, but sometimes we read eternal life and we forget. He's talking about experiencing the anointing in the present tense. That's what he's talking about. And it happens to go on forever and forever, which is a really good thing. He says, you search the Bible because you think in, in Bible study you're going to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your heart. You're not. Not in Bible study alone. I believe in Bible study, but it's not enough alone. He says, the Scriptures testify of me. Here he is. It says in verse 40, and that's what he's going to build on in chapter 7, verse 38. He goes, you're unwilling to come to me to experience the anointing on your heart. You're unwilling to come to me with the Scripture. This was the passage that the Lord uh, uh, just absolutely changed my life on when I was 18 years old. I've preached it for the last 30 years. John 5, 37, 38, 39. And 40, I, was, I remember the place I was in my basement. I remember reading, because I was doing one of those things, trying to study, every, you know, like the thing I shared a couple weeks ago, trying to study every book of the Bible, my little notebooks, and my heart was getting colder and colder and colder. Because I thought Bible study would make it happen. I was going to four or five Bible studies at night and leading them and going to them, and I thought, it's not working. I, my heart felt so cold. And I was happened to be studying the book of John. I happened to be on chapter 5. I was doing the thing. getting my, I had a couple commentaries. I underlined them. Then I wrote them down in my notebook. And then I did all that thing that I gave you a couple of weeks ago on an action plan for studying the Bible. Which we do have notes back in the foyer if you want to get those notes on how to have an action plan and how to study the Bible. And it was I was reading the book of John. And I happened to hit John chapter 5. And I remember it was a God moment. Probably my first true God moment that it really, for my heart and God's heart, I'd been saved since I was 15, and I read that, and I was in so much anguish over not feeling the presence of God in my heart at all. I mean, not at all. And I was going, and I looked at that, and it was like the Holy Spirit highlighted it. It was like a light went on it. Not, not a real light. Don't, don't think that I, I mean like a, in a, that sense. But I mean, I stared at it. And I went, oh my goodness. Of course, you know, when I'm 18, I go, in all the years that I've walked with you, God. Because all my little disciples were 14 and 15, you know, so I was like the old sage by then. I said, I've never read this verse. Well, I hadn't read 90% of any verses, but <laughs> most of the Bible I'd never read. But anyway, I went, wow, where's this book, verse been all my years? And I looked at that, and the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, and I said, yeah, I search the Scripture. I, I do. I spent a couple hours a day doing Bible study, but I said, my heart is so cold. And the Bible is so boring. I don't even like the Bible, to be honest, God. Just to be honest, I don't even like it. And it says, you're not willing to come to me. And the Lord let me know right then. It's just this, I, this word came to my heart in understanding conversation and dialogue. You have to use the Bible and turn it into a conversation. Talk to me when you read the Bible. That's it. That's it. That was it. And I went, this could change everything. Not willing. Well, the phrase Jesus told the disciples, see, I was uninstructed and I was ignorant. I was unknowing. They were unwilling. I said, I never even thought, no one ever told me to pause and talk to you. I never even thought about that. So then I began to, to uh, uh, add the idea of journaling and or writing my prayers or my ideas down. 
And so I would, I would, I would read the word. And if something, if a passage said something about God's heart, like, I love you, I would stop and say, show me that you love me. Give me a spirit of revelation, number one. Show me, I prayed, show me that you love me. I actually turned it into a conversation. And then number two, I would thank him for it. It's just that simple. It's just really that simple. I'd say, show me it's true. Let me really see it big time and thank you that it's true even though I don't feel it. And then I started spinning off into other little conversations related to those two points. It's as simple as it is. I said, give me a revelation about it and thank you that it's true even though I don't feel it. And then when I came to a passage... Uh, that exhorted me uh, to believe... The first passage was the passages that exhorted me to believe something about God or about myself or about the kingdom. I'd say, show me and thank you. And then passages that exhorted me to obey something. Quit sinning. I would do two things there. I would commit myself. I'd say, Lord, I commit myself to this and I would ask for help. Give me an enabling. Just those two things. Just that simple. I'm going to say it again. I would come to passages that, that uh, exhorted me to believe something about God's heart. I would stop and say... Give me a revelation that it's true and thank you that it is. And I'd pray in the Spirit for a while. And just I would pause there, three, four, five, ten, fifteen minutes, and write down little ideas. And oh my goodness, the things that begin to come to my heart. I said, Lord, I, I kind of like really like the Bible now. I mean, this is kind of, I can do this. Because something started happening. I started feeling something. So the Bible passages that exhorted me to believe something, I said, give me a spirit of revelation. Show me what it means. And then thank you that it's true. And then I would journal and pray in the Spirit in between. Simple, isn't it? Then the other kind of uh, Bible passages, not the ones that told me to believe something, told me to obey something. I would commit myself. I would say, Lord, I commit myself to this by the grace of God. I resolve in my spirit to say yes to you on this. And then I would add, please help me. Help me. Remind me. I go half the time. I'm halfway in the sin before I even know I'm doing it. I mean, when you're, you know, when you're, Never mind. But anyway, I said, Lord, you've got to remind me a few of these things. You know, here I am. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm thinking of the silliest thing. But uh, when, when I was a new Christian, I'll just tell you, since you're so uh, paying attention now. Uh, it's amazing. You know, you're, you're preaching a beautiful message on the Word, you know, so whatever. You start saying, well, I, I did a sin. Everybody goes, oh, okay, what now? <laughs> When I first met the Lord, I couldn't believe that cussing was wrong. I, I was a, a, a cuss like, I'd say like a sailor, but I've never really met a sailor. But I just cussed like crazy. And I remember when I first came to the kingdom, my leader said, you've got to quit saying those words. And I said, I don't get why saying a word's wrong. I mean, God's smart. He knows the word doesn't mean anything. He knows all the body parts. I mean, why is it wrong? And I would spend with my leaders and they would say, Mike, it really is wrong. I go, I don't really think it's wrong. Anyway, that was the thing, the big issue. I had to tell the Lord I'd be right in the middle of saying something and even my little sermons and say little words. And I said, Lord, you got to remind me because I'm not doing it on purpose. I just still don't fully understand why it's that big a point. I don't get why it's a big deal. I believe it's a big deal now because I understand that there's def- words bring defilement. But I just couldn't, for the life of me, when they told me I met the Lord, that was the first thing they told me to stop doing. I just said, that's a strange rule. I said, Who, where's that in the Bible? And they never could come up with a real don't cuss verse, you know, a really authentic don't cuss. They had all these other verses, so I kind of held my ground for a little while. But anyway, so now I got that off my mind. That's why I was smiling. <laughs> I said, Lord, you got to remind me when I get out there. But anyway, I would pray on the... Uh, on the and I I quit doing it uh, before I long before I started IHOP. But it, 
Is that good? Yeah, okay, that's good. So, I found out, this is so simple, and I know that most of you know this, but I tell you, I, I, I would guess the majority in this room don't do it. I think a lot of you do, but I think probably the majority don't. I think the, even if you know it. So I, I just want you to bear with this. If it's old, familiar ground to you. When it was an exhortation to obey God, I would turn it into a prayer. I would make, I would re- resolve. Sweet resolution was the word I used. I make a sweet resolution to say yes to you. Because that was an old Puritan phrase that I got from one of the biographies. I make a sweet resolution to obey you in this area. And Lord, help me. Like, remind me and give me power when I'm in flight. Help me. And it is amazing. It wasn't so much that you humble yourself and ask for power. It's that the asking for help creates a dialogue. And then all of a sudden, you and the Lord are talking back and forth. And I'm writing. And the more that I wrote, it was like God's heart. I, I was writing. You know how it is when you're journaling and you're just a little bit anointed? You don't even know what your next phrase is going to be. And you're writing and you're as surprised as anybody. You're going, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. And you're just writing. And, and it starts flowing. And even when you start praying that way, you, start, you, you accidentally say your own answer. How many of you have done that in prayer? Or, or you're even talking to somebody on the telephone and you're giving them an answer for them and it's really an answer for you and you go, well, that's my answer too. And it's the Lord just gives it to you right in flight. Anyway, let's go back to John 7. The Lord says, you've got to come to me. You've got to come to me. Beloved, I can't think of any place in the world, and I'm sure there are some, that it's easier to have a lifestyle to come to the Lord than in this place. We have anointed worship teams. We have a building. We have a requirement. I mean, this is the, the most amazing thing. We have a requirement. You have to. I was uh, meeting with the worship leaders last week and saying that I've met many ministries. I mean, a number of them. And when I told them for all the years that I was at Metro, we had a rule. We had a law. I mean, it was an absolute rule that every single uh, full-time pastor had to be at one prayer meeting. They'd go about an hour and a half or two hours every single day. Six days a week. So basically, it was the, it was the uh, kind of the associate staff uh, uh, commitment. Every full-time person had to be at six prayer meetings a week. That was absolutely uh, no exceptions. And we had three a day. We had three prayer meetings a day. And a lot of them went to more. And I said, I want to build a team that does this. It was mandatory. So as I would go in and uh, interface with other ministries, I constantly heard this over and over. Well, I want them to pray on their own time. I don't want them to pray on church time. I mean, on church time... That's when they're supposed to be solving people's problems, planning, strategizing, teaching, working, counseling. And I said, no. I said, you don't want somebody with a dead heart, a bruised and dead and barren spirit doing your ministry. You want people alive. And I ran into this over and over. Uh, Leaders of main ministries going, you mean in their 40 hours they pray? No, they pray some other time. I go, "You, you don't want prayerless leaders. You really don't want prayerless leaders. And so... I, I found to my uh, uh, amazement that it was unusual. Several places had uh, real uh, standards that they wanted their leadership team in prayer meetings. But it was an odd concept as I traveled around. But I thought it was a really normal one, to be honest. But it was a very odd one. Here's my point. The pressure of this ministry and organization is for you to be in the prayer room, not to be out of the prayer room. The pressure is to actually do this. So my point is, the setting is absolutely as good as I can imagine it, you've got anointed people, you've got a divine word, God spoke audibly to do it, and you've got a whole group of people in unity that have the value, and even the mandate and the standard of the leadership is to do it, not a rule to keep you from doing it. Like, do it on your own time, do it some other time. My point is, I don't know how it's going to get easier than it is right now. And I'm thinking of all the people in this room, 
You'll be here for a year, two years, three years, some longer, some shorter, and you'll go somewhere else. And I don't imagine how it will be easier than this, except if you're in prison. I just don't know how it's going to get easier than this. You don't want to take this opportunity, this time, and lose it. Because I just don't know how it's going to be an easier setting than this. Audible voice of God. Do I hop? That's the essence of it. Okay, so we're mandated from heaven. 400 full-time staff members. You've got a whole community that have the same values. My goodness, that, that makes it easier. Requirement on the staff. You have to do it. Wow, well, okay, your job mandates you do it. And anointed worship teams creating an atmosphere in great coffee next door. I mean, my goodness, how... It is, it is perfect. It's what I've always dreamed about. And yet, I find that, I, I'm, again, I'm truly not, I'll tell you, if I'm saying a rebuke, I'll really say, uh, this is a rebuke. I won't, I'm not watering it down. It's, I'm not talking at the level of you better get with it. I'm talking as a, as a brother and as a spiritual father to some and saying, you really want to do this because it's not going to get easier than it is right now. It really isn't. Again, unless you're in prison someday. And then the guy next to you will probably be really finicky and just buggy all day. He'll say, man, I should have done it at IHOP. Okay. <laughs> he says, let him come to me. Come to me. That's good. So you actually show up to the prayer meeting and your heart engages. Now, he says, you're engaging with me. Now, go deep. Don't just engage with me. Don't just have that initial connect. Go deep. Now, drink. Take some time. I've said this over the years. And, and this isn't true, necessarily true of everybody, but I, I do want you to check it out. Check it out, that I have found that there's a saturation point, and I'm saying that in a positive sense, that if it takes me uh, an hour to just dial down, and, and, and I don't mean, uh, uh, don't mean it like some of you might think it, meaning I, the Lord has gifted me in a certain way over the years where I can come to a prayer meeting and in five minutes, not 100%, but certainly the majority of the time, I can be engaged in the prayer room and be completely disconnected from the things that have been in my world. And that, that's one thing I've said to the Lord over the years. I've said, Lord, you've really helped me. Of course, it's nice because I'm a prayer leader. And, and if you didn't help me, I would really be in trouble. If when I went to the prayer room, I was carrying all the concerns of everybody who was mad, glad, and sad, and all the projects, and the da-da-da-da-da. And the Lord's helped me to get in the prayer room and in five or ten minutes to get, to get connected. I mean, even connected, it takes me still an hour to, to dial down at a whole nother level, and then another hour, and then another hour, and it truly is about the third to fifth hour where it begins to become good at a whole nother level. I'm, I'm really, really mean that. And some have never ever done that. You've never gone 40 minutes straight or an hour straight. And it, and though, uh, I'm not even talking about a rambling mindset, and I would, and I've had a rambling mindset. I'm not saying that never happens to me, but I'm just saying the Lord's helped me in that over the years where that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about praying in the Spirit. And I'm, and I'm, I start in the morning. I have from 6 to 10 almost every morning. That four hours blocked off. And I love that so much. And my spirit starts touching it. But just when it's about 10, we got the 10 a.m. prayer meeting. I, I do a number of days a week and I come out here. And then it gets a little bit different. And I just, I'm anxious. I go, oh, it's just starting to happen in the last hour. I mean, I'm starting to get that, oh, I love life. I, this is what I'm about. And then I got to go lead a prayer meeting. Now, being in a prayer meeting, I find easy. But leading it, I got to be more focused and locked in. And, and then I have to, then I got a staff meeting and then I got to this or that. And then I call my way back to it at four in the afternoon, maybe, or two or, Grab a little time at 6 o'clock at night. i got a couple 6 o'clock ones. And there's nothing like that long time 
Wednesdays is my Sabbath day, and I, that's when I try not to have meetings, and I usually don't, and that's why I get to go a real long haul. It's not dedication. I was talking to a guy the other day, and he says, man, you're dedicated. I go, no, 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 you get the whole wrong idea. It's not dedication. I would tell you if I was dedicated. Working out is discipline. Working out is discipline. Feeling God is pleasure. I'm not talking about doing it by dedication. Now, maybe at first you, you don't feel anything. You've got to do a little bit by faith. I'm talking about it's where, it's where the gold is. So, so I'm not talking about duty. I'm talking about this is your inheritance. It's where the gold is. I want to challenge you, again, to, to, to organize your lifestyle where you get to be in this place with your Bible open. And I mean, you can be agreeing with what's going up front. Open, bring your Bible, bring your commentaries, unpack, bring your, bring your notepad to journal. If, I mean, journal, I find it uh, uh, indispensable. I, I mean, I just cannot imagine not having a notepad. But maybe others are different, so I don't want to put my way on you. But it is critical for, for me and my personality to write it down. Because when I write it down, it doubles. When I write it down, my insight doubles. And I look at it again, I rewrite it, it doubles again. I think, my goodness... Maybe I should rewrite it a third time. I mean, it just keeps increasing because it, journaling's a form of prayer. You, you're getting in that flow. And I want to encourage you to get your, your Bible, your book, your notes, and come in this place and to give yourself. And you do it at home as well, but I want to encourage you to do it here because if you do it here, you become a tremendous encouragement to the people up here. I don't do all of my time in the house, but I do certainly the majority of it. Of course, you say, I would too if I had my office right there. That would really work. And I realize that's a, that's a decided advantage because i got all my stuff right there. But for years, I would bring it in, in, in a little suitcase. I had my little Bible study suitcase with my pens and my notepads. I just put my three main commentaries, my Bible, and I just bring it right with me. So I just had it ready, to ma- ready made, ready to go. But I would encourage you, don't, don't look at the, well, I'm associate staff, I do six prayer meetings. Don't be limited by that. Well, I'm full-time staff. I do 12. Don't be locked into that. You, I figure that everybody sleeps. and By the time it takes you to sleep, eat, and get ready in a day, call it 10 hours. 10 hours to eat, sleep, get clean, get going, and, and your eating times in a day, give or take. That gives you 100 hours a week. If you give 10 hours a day to that, that gives you 100 hours a week to do life. Everyone in this room has about a hundred hours a week to manage their life after they've spent ten hours a day eating and sleeping and doing whatever they do. You got a hundred more hours. Don't look at twelve two-hour permings, twenty-four of those hundred hours, and go, "That's too much. That's too big." That, beloved, that is that is not a big thing. This is a place where your heart could be kissed. I'm telling you, go after this thing. Now Jesus says, He goes, "You got to drink." You gotta make the connect. Come to me. Come to me. Make the connect. That's the prayer dialogue. But, but stay there now and drink. Go deep. Don't get the water flowing and then say, oh wow, I'm five minutes after my two hour commitment. Oh my goodness. I don't want to do that. No, it's the wrong idea. It's the wrong idea. And don't box yourself in. I mean, sometimes I have to be boxed in where I really do have a meeting. I need to be at it at that time. I gotta quit. And sometimes it's Painful to quit, but I need to because i got a real meeting. But I like to lay my schedule out to where I have those times where I can drink. If you want to use another analogy, a kite where you can soar. You can soar. And i got a number of times in the week where I don't have a meeting on the back end of it because I want to drink. I don't want to just come to Him. I don't want to make the initial connect and feel the presence. I want to go somewhere. I want my being to be... I want to feel God in my inner man. 
And I don't always feel God in my inner man. I have had times where I felt God. I went in and after a prayer time, I felt oppressed. I mean, I, I've got it where it all went opposite a bunch of times. But I'm talking about the rule. Now, here's, here's where the real catch comes in. He goes, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, I want to talk about what does it mean to have rivers of living water flowing out of the heart. I mean, my goodness, is that, that is the inheritance of everybody. Everybody. Remember the, the ADDDDD person? It's everybody. Don't get, don't lose sight of the everyone in verse 37. Anyone having a heart flowing like a river on the inside. And it's by the Holy Spirit, verse 37, 39 says. It's a supernatural work. Flow, a heart flowing by the, uh, Holy, uh, uh, like a river is not a natural thing. It is a supernatural work. It is a supernatural work. Now, we'll come back to flowing like a river in just a moment if we have time. Let's look at the, uh, at the other condition. First condition, you gotta, you gotta thirst. You gotta get a vision for it. And that's what I'm trying to do through, through a message. I'm trying to give you a vision that this is really your inheritance. Number two, you gotta come to Him. It's not enough just to do Bible study. You, you wanna talk to Him. You wanna encounter Him. Number three, you gotta have a sustained time. There's a time to drink. There's a time, there, there are times when the kite gets up in the air and you wanna fly it now. It's not the goal is to get the kite up. The, the goal is to fly the kite. You know, and, and to have the fun, to soar, you have to have a sustained time. That's what I, that's where I put the word drink. I put sustained time. Oh, I love that. The next, uh, 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 condition. To believe in me in the way the scripture says, and this is another one of the biggies that cancels people out. They believe in me in the way the scripture says. Now the phrase, as the scripture says, is qualifying the quality of believing. Okay, because if you read that phrase, uh, I mean, as you read verse 38, the phrase, as the, scripture, as the Scripture says, some people says, is it qualifying the way your heart flows, or is it qualifying the way you believe, the way you approach the Scripture? It's qualifying the way that you approach the Scripture. It's very important to understand that. Because Jesus is not saying, believe in me the way that your church taught you. He's saying, believe in me in the way that I laid it out in the Word of God. See, what's happening in the lives of a lot of people, they are believing in Jesus in the way that they're charismatic or non-charismatic, their Bible school, they believe in the way that their religious organization taught them to believe. They approach God according to the standards and the belief system of the group they grew up with spiritually. And Jesus said, I didn't say believe in me the way that your leaders at First Charismatic down the road told you. I told you to believe in me the way the Scripture says. Well, Lord, my pastor said, the Lord said, I didn't say believe in me the way your pastor said. I said believe in me the way the Scripture says. And that's where a lot of folks in eternity, they'll say, I did believe in you. And Jesus says, not the way the Scripture said you didn't. You believed in me the way the pastor told you to, and the way your denomination, and the way that your charismatic fellowship told you to. You did not believe in in me the way that I said to believe in me. And so I've had a lot of people over the years, I'm sure a number of you had as well, They've come and they said, you know, I've really tried this thing hard. It didn't work. I said, no, 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 not really. And I try to be nice about it and not say no for 10 minutes. But, but I promise you the answer is no, they haven't. They haven't tried it. The it, the it they've tried is some other version of Christianity. It's not the version Jesus taught. And I would agree they tried it, but the it 
is not the way Jesus taught it. The it they have in their mind is the way they were raised to approach God. And so I'll give them that. I'll go, yeah, I believe you've tried it hard. But the it that you've tried isn't the right it. There's another it that you're supposed to try hard. You're supposed to go after with all of your heart. That's the believing in Him the way the Scripture says. Well, how does this Scripture say? I'm going to give you a couple simple, very simple, but I mean they're really, really important. Number one is by a spirit of dedication. A spirit of dedication. In other words, there's a yes in your spirit to obedience. Absolutely. There's, you don't have to have victory in every area, but you have to have a yes in your spirit on every area that God's told you to obey in. If there is one area in your life, I want to say this strongly, one area in your life where the Holy Spirit is saying, do A, and you're saying, no, I'm going to do B. I guarantee you the thing will be shut down and you will not have a flowing heart. That I absolutely promise you. One area will shut it down. One area. I remember the, uh, the sermon by Charles Finney. I preached it when I was 23. I, I would say it really different now, but I, it just shocked me when I read it. The, I mean, the title, the title itself, I went, ah! It says this. The great revivalist in the 1830s, 1840s in New York area, etc. He said, one sin persisted in is fatal to the soul. That was the title of the sermon. I, I was going through his books. I went, oh my gosh. It went like, it threw me like an arrow and I read that sermon. I liked it so much. I wrote it down word for word, memorized it and preached it to the youth group. One sin persisted and is fatal to the soul. Man, I did it with Noel Alexander's eyes. I did it with intensity. Not anything close to the anointing of Charles Finney, but boy, it scared me for sure. I don't know if it got anybody else, but, uh, now there's a big difference because a sin that you're stumbling in, that you rise up and go, I hate it and I repent, is very different. Because that's not what I'm saying. A sin that you are at war against, but you're being overcome by, is not what I'm talking about. You can still have a heart that begins to flow. I'm talking about an area in your life where the Lord says, stop it, and you go, no. The Lord says, that's serious. You have to be at war against every area God has said be at war against. One area, I think of the... Uh, uh, you know, it's like the little kid's train track, you know, and the guy was telling the story, his train track, he set it all up, he couldn't get it to work, and there was one little piece of metal, one little bobby pin that was touching the tracks, and the whole power of that train track wouldn't work because of one bobby pin. You will short-circuit the whole issue. Now, here's how a lot of holiness preachers talk it, that if you stumble in one area, you'll never make it. I'm not talking about stumbling, I'm talking about warring against that area. Meaning, you could say, the Lord could say, stop doing this thing, and you're in agreement, but you even yield to it. But when you get done, you say, God, I'm serious. I hate that. It's not okay with me. I don't have plans for that again. And you're warring against it, and you have a sincere spirit, a willing spirit, and you can have a willing spirit that still has immaturity in it. You can still get in the life flow. But when you look at the Lord, He says, I don't want you doing that. And it's really the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you talking that way. I don't want you uh, b- being... Uh, slanderous and divisive that way. I don't want you to quit. I want you to stop hoarding your finances in the way that I've told you to do this. Say, Lord, I only make 30 bucks a week. I don't want to tie $3. And I take, cause that's how the Lord spoke to me in the early days. And he said, no, this is an issue between you and me, Mike. I don't need your three bucks, but I need your heart. So I'm talking to young people. He wants us to be real in the area of finances, honest with him, honest with him in the area of slander, in the area of immorality, in the area of 
uh, manipulation. He says, stop doing that. Quit telling those people that thing. You know, you, people get in a whisper and they tell their little story. And they say, stop it. I really mean it. Stop it. You may do it again, but you need to repent of it for real. One area, one area shuts down the whole enjoyment process in your spirit. One area. A lot of times it has to do with media. A lot of times it has to do with the lifestyle that I'm going to watch this and do that and my time's my time. And the Lord says, no, no, not really. I want you to be mine and you want to be mine. I want to be yours when I really want you in this area. You go, well, I don't want to give you that area. That will truly cause your spirit to be stagnant. Again, I'm not talking about stumbling and getting up and repenting in sincerity. Because I believe you can get a true life flow even in that midst. I've done it many times. The Lord says, don't do it. I said, yes, I agree with you. I did it. I went, I hate it. And it was real. And I still have a life flow in my heart. I'm talking about a spirit of dedication. You have to agree with what God says. You have, absolutely have to. Number two, you have to have a spirit of devotion. There has to be an I love you in the midst of your dialogue in the Word. That's what we've talked about for 30 minutes. So I don't have to go on that any longer. I'm talking about the whole, uh, we're, we're doing the, when we're in the Bible, reading this, when we're leading up here, where we're leading our staff meetings, we're in the healing rooms, there's an I love you in our spirit. I mean, our bodies may be tired. I know sometimes... Uh, because I get here early in the morning on Friday, and Friday's my hard day, because fr- late Friday night, I'm so tired, because I got up so early Friday morning, that's my hard one. And I just go, Lord, I love you, and I see you in these people. And that's and I say, I love you. That's why I'm going to lay hands on them. I love you. And there's a spirit of devotion in your work, or in your study, or in your prayer, your worship leading, your prayer leading, your pacing, your sitting, your healing room, you're running the coffee shop, you're running the bookstore, out in the marketplace, there's an I love you. There's a spirit of devotion in your work and in your prayer. Because believe it or not, you can do study the Bible with no spirit of devotion. There has to be a spirit of devotion in it. There has to be an I love you in the mix. Number three, there has to be a spirit of servanthood. Absolute spirit of servanthood. No question about it. It says in Isaiah 58, verse 10, he says, If you will extend your soul to the hungry. If you will extend your soul. Now, some of you extend your soul where you go out on the streets and do it. That's what Isaiah 58 is talking about, and that's powerful. But we can extend our soul, and we all need to be doing that a bit. But we need, I mean, extending our soul to the poor. But extending our soul for others. I mean, when I look at the people in the healing rooms, they're extending their soul. When I look at people in the bookstore back in the warehouse... Or I look at Debbie in the, in the kitchen and she's extending her soul, sweating. I walked in there and says, my goodness, what is going on in here? So I don't mean that you're extending your soul just to the program. I'm talking about genuinely giving your life away. Some people are so measured and protected that their life is theirs. And they'll give God five hours of the day and that extra 19 hours, Lord, don't mess with it. I'm not going to be disturbed. My life is in tranquility. The Lord says, you must have a, a servant spirit. You absolutely have to. To come to Jesus in the way the Bible says absolutely requires that. And the fourth one, I'm only giving four, is a spirit of confidence in God's affection in the midst of your weakness. And that's actually where a lot of people blow it. They'll, they'll, they'll do the other three. Actually, all four of those are real keys. I'm talking about when we blow it in our spirit of dedication, it comes up short. We have confidence in the affection of God, that He sees immaturity as different than rebellion, and we have confidence our spirit is open when we're pursuing Him instead of a shut spirit, a closed spirit, because we have a, we feel condemnation. If if, we, if I can get a person, well myself first, but if I can get a, a young person, they say disciple me. Okay, good. Here's what we're going to do. You have to have a spirit of dedication. Well, let's start all. Let's start at the beginning. Verse 37. We want to give them a vision, okay? Uh, uh, those of you discipling people, given a vision that awakens thirst. Here, I'm just summing up here. 
Then you're going to teach them they have to come to the Lord. Then you're going to show them how to sustain it. That when they connect with the Lord, they have to have times where they can soar, they can sustain it. Absolutely critical. That 40-minute in-and-out thing, you get in the prayer meeting, you run out. You can't sustain anything with depth in it. In that kind. You cannot develop a flowing heart on the run. It takes time to develop a flowing heart. It absolutely does. So now, they're going to come to Jesus and believe in Him as the Scripture says. You look at them and says, you know, whether they ever are fully honest with you or not, tell them, say, listen, there's one area the Lord's putting His finger on. You're saying, no, it is not possible. It is not possible to have a flowing heart. It is not possible. I want to assure you it's not. If you're saying no. They say, what should I do? I go, war against it. They go, well, but I stumble. Yeah, but truly make it your enemy in your soul. Okay? Get a spirit of devotion. Not just in the prayer room, but in the prayer room a lot. Because there's a lot that goes on in the prayer room that have devotion in it. It's just kind of like an hour and ten more minutes. Boy, this prayer meeting is going slow. No, give yourself with I love you's through it. In your study, in your prayer. But that spirit of devotion is in the ministry places. It's in the business place. It's in the, it's in the outreach. It's in the hot kitchen. It's in the cleaning of the parking lot. The I love you. I'm doing this because I love you, God. The spirit of devotion is critical. A spirit of servanthood. Tearing down some of the walls that say, I'm guarding my nice, little, kept, protected life. And I'm going to be inconvenienced. And I'm going to give my soul. I'm going to extend myself. It really matters that we do it. Jesus, there's a, a hundred verses about the necessity of a servant spirit. Then number four, having confidence that when we do blow it, even in our weakness, God ha- uh, uh, relates to us in affection. And it's not enough that we sing it, and it's not enough that a few people preach it. If you don't have that confidence in your spirit, you cannot, you are not coming to Him in the way the Bible says, and your, your heart won't flow. You will, you will uh, worship God with a guarded heart, and therefore your heart won't flow like a river. And we'll talk at another time. I have some... Uh, uh, I have passages that really move me in the Scripture that talk about a flowing heart, a heart flowing like a river. But we're out of time right now. But suffice to say, an anointed heart flow. Beloved, you don't have to sell out for anything less than, a, than, a, than an anointed heart flow. The devil doesn't have a right to take it from you. Don't let a leader take it from you. Don't let a family member take it from you. You have a, an anointed heart flow as your inheritance. Amen. Let's stand.